Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Acts chapter 17, 19. The Areopagus was a court. Literally, it is known as the Hill of Ares. Ares was the Greek god of war. The Roman equivalent God was Mars, hence the name Mars Hill. It may have been an official court at one time, but now it had been overseen by what we understand as a 30-member Senate, all philosophically trained, all highly educated. They oversaw the Areopagus, and this was the place where people would go on trial, not in a legal sense as to go to jail or not, their ideas would be on trial. It would be like being put in the hot seat to explain Christianity uh, before 30 of the most educated people in all the world. A panel of pantheists and atheists and agnostics and new agers and people of other world religions made up the panel and you're put on this little seat, the spotlight hits you and they say, okay, television cameras are on, go ahead, Paul, tell us, seat picker. What do you have to tell this court? What's the idea that you're bringing? For you're bringing some strange things to our ears, 20. We want to know, therefore, what these things mean. Seems to be some legitimate hunger. Now, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling and hearing something new. You know, we love as people the new and improved it's all about the packaging, right? So you got down the aisle. What catches your eye down the aisle in the shopping center? New and improved. You have no idea what that means. But the packaging alone is good enough, right? Oh, cornflakes, but they're new and improved. Wow, that's great. So you grab them. So there they stayed and they talked about these ideas. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, turn or burn, baby. Got a sandwich board sign out and said, if you don't turn, the whole council of you is burning. No, he didn't do that. Actually, <laughs> I'm going I'm to show you a little tact here in the presentation. But I want you to see, Paul was angry. He was provoked. But he didn't go and start yelling at people on the street corner. Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you're very religious in all respects. There's obviously a religious hunger among you people. You wouldn't have all these gods and goddesses if you weren't religious. So he started with a point of contact. He restrained himself. He was tactful and winsome, at least to start off. And I would say to you that some of us need to learn this lesson because tact may not be your long suit. You know what I'm saying? You go to people and you don't believe in a dimmer switch. You're going to turn on the lights right now. And they're like, don't you understand? Right? That's probably not going to win a lot of people. The gospel is already offensive. We know that, right? It's already an offense. So some tact can be helpful. I'm not talking about being phony with people. But I'm talking about a point of contact. If someone's having a religious discussion with you, there's obviously a hunger in their heart. 
They seem to be open to spiritual things. And so Paul says, hey, I can see that you guys are religious. For while I was passing through 23 and examining the objects of your worship, I took a close look. I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. The Greek word for unknown is agnostos, where we get agnostic, what therefore you worship in ignorance. Now Paul is going to get to the point. This I proclaim to you. Paul studied their religion so he'd have a springboard. And what he found among all the altars is one with an inscription to an unknown God. Because in the Greek mind, they didn't believe they knew everything. And if they missed a God that they needed to appease, they put an altar there just in case they missed one. If there's any unknown God out there, we're sorry. We built you an altar too. So they did. So Paul jumped on the opportunity of the unknown altar, the unknown God, because in this case, God, the true God was unknown to these people. And he used it as a springboard to jump in to the gospel. I just want to say one thing before I move on from this point. When you're interacting with people, remember, people have limited knowledge. Even if somebody tells you they've read a couple hundred books on philosophy, they still only have a small percentage of the knowledge that's out there. And the other thing, statistically, we know scientifically that we only use about what? 10% of our brains anyway. Nobody has arrived. Nobody knows everything. I don't care how intellectual they come across, they don't know everything. They haven't wrestled with every idea or concept or claim. And so Paul is going to begin. And I'm going to uh, be able to work through his sermon quickly here. I'll tell you a story. When my oldest boy was young, this was probably ooh, 13, 14 years ago, I was teaching this passage and I said, this is what daddy's going to preach tomorrow morning at church. Oh, you are, daddy? And so I read through the passage of Paul's famous sermon in the Areopagus on Mars Hill. It took me about two minutes to read it. He goes, dad, why does it take you 45 minutes to preach that? You read it in... Two minutes, and I said, shut up, you brat. <laughs> no, I didn't say that to him. I said, how cute, that's wonderful. Anyway, he's right. So here's the sermon. I want you to notice that the sermon's going to move. <laughs> yeah, it's going to move from creation to consummation. The God who made the world and all things in it. Now, the Epicureans believe that matter was eternal, therefore... No need for a creator. The Stoics were pantheists. They believed everything was part of God or God was in everything. Evolutionists today believe that everything sprung from nothing. There was an explosion. We don't know where the stuff came from, but it did explode, trust us. There was a spontaneous generation of life in a soupy substance. And then the well-ordered life came. Now I'm oversimplifying, I know. But that's basically it. If evolution is true, what's happened is we've had a creation with the incredible majesty of your brain. You have brain matter in your head that can contain all the memories of a lifetime. 
You have this majestic creation of your eyes that can see peripherally and has all these nerves. You have, you have smell and taste and circulatory systems, involuntary organ that you don't even, organs that you don't even think about that are moving and pumping blood, boxcars and boxcars of blood over a lifetime, a majestic creation in perfect order, right distance of the sun from the planet, moon, controlling waves, etc., etc. And, and here's what our, this is the intellectual people of our day, uh, there's no God. Or the alternative view now for the intellectuals is, yeah, there must be an intelligence behind this majestic, intricate creation. Therefore, aliens shot uh, the first seeds of life down to the planet, and they're the ones, and one day we're all going to get on a rocket ship, and we'll We'll cruise somewhere, maybe to the outer stratosphere where we will meet our creators. And, but we're going to die because there's really no afterlife anyway. And, but it's the circle. It's the circle of life. Sing it with me, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? The circle. I don't care about your circle. I want to know God. I want to know if eternal life is true. I want to know that this image that he's implanted in my heart and this majestic creation that testifies to his majesty, what will it tell me? What will it lead me to? Paul says there's a God, 24 singular. He made the world and everything in it. Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's and all it contains the world and those who dwell in it. Psalm 125 through 27 says, Of old thou did found the earth, the heavens are the work of thy hands. They will perish, but you endure. All of them will wear out like a garment, garment like clothing they will change, and thou will change them and they will be changed. But you, God, you're the same, and your years will not come to an end. In Psalm 14, the writer says, The fool has said in his heart, There is, what? No God. That's not somebody devoid of mental acumen. That's not someone who doesn't have intellectual capability. That's someone who looks at the evidence and says, I won't believe. That's the fool in the Bible. Not someone who's not intellectually smart, but someone who can look around at the basic facts and still deny that there's a creator. Now he says, number two, look at verse 24. Since he is Lord, so God is the creator, middle of 24, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with human hands. Paul says, look around you. Do you think that God's going to dwell in the Parthenon? Do you think that God's going to come down and land on one of these altars? Solomon, when he built the temple in 1 Kings says, even heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much more this structure or temple I've built for you. You're too big for that, God. And their God was too small in their eyes. God is creator. I want you to see how full this sermon will be quickly. 25, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. It's interesting when Paul uh, dealt with Gentiles or pagans, he started with the natural creation. In the synagogue, he would start with the Bible. When he was outside the synagogue with 
the skeptics or the unbelievers, he would start with general revelation. He would appeal to the cosmos. He would appeal to the created order. He says, this God gives you all things. He gives you life, breath. In Acts 14, he talked about the sun, the rain, food sources. Psalm 50 says, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountain and everything that moves in the field is mine. God says in Psalm 50, verse 12, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. God's not up in heaven ringing a bell so someone can bring him breakfast. He's got everything that he needs, folks, and more. He doesn't need humans to construct things to please him or that look like him. He's way beyond all those things. Belshazzar was told by Daniel in Daniel 5.23, the God in whose hands are your life breath and all your ways, you have not glorified him. Now notice, he is the creator, he's the sustainer. Look at verse 26. He made from one man. Who's the one man? That's Adam. Every nation of mankind, everybody springs from Adam and Eve to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined their appointed times, and their boundaries, the boundaries of their habitation. This is God's sovereignty. God is creator. Here's the sermon, simply put. He's sustainer, and he is sovereign over his creation. As a matter of fact, not only did he make people, he determined where people 26 would live and when they would live there. You say, Pastor Michael, really? Think of Israel. God brought them into the land of Canaan. Uh, put the boundaries of their habitation, set them in a specific place and a specific time. And Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations, and God's done that with all nations. He's, he's put the boundaries of their habitation, when people will live, where they will live. God is not detached from the creation. He is highly involved in his creation. He even determined boundaries and times. Why did he do it? And here's where the sermon's going to become personal that they, the nations, should seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And you could see the Stoic philosopher trying to hold his ground. Because all he's ever known is gods and goddesses that are much like him. He's known the emptiness of idolatry, even the demonic power behind idolatry, it has not fulfilled his life. He's probably still wondering who, who is true, what's true among all these thousands of deities. Have I appeased them enough? Am I going to live beyond this life? And Paul says, God did all this, that people would seek him, 27, and reach out for him and find him. God's not hiding from anybody. As a matter of fact, he did what he did so that we might reach out for him and find him would you read it for yourself? He's not far from each one of us. As a matter of fact, I often tell unbelievers he's just a prayer away. You just have to trust. You just have to reach out. Remember the woman with the flow of blood? If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace He's not far from each one of us. And if you're a believer today and you feel far away from God, um, the Bible says he will never leave you or forsake you. 
The Bible says he is near to those who call upon him. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God permitted himself to be sought and found by a people who didn't ask for him. And there's Paul. You see how the sermon has now come down to a very personal level? He's saying, look, you just got to reach out. Now he quotes some of their poets. He says, for in him, in God, we live and move and exist or have our being. Even some of your own poets have said this. We are also his offspring, not his literal offspring, but he's our maker, our father, the father of humanity. But we've been separated from him by sin. Not everybody's a child of God today. We become children of God by trusting in Christ. So being then the offspring of God or his creation, 29, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Don't think of these statues when you think of God. Now he gets to the heart of the matter. Therefore, in light of what I have said, God is the father of mankind, but you've got to get right with him to become his child. He says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that, notice the language, how sweeping it is, that all everywhere should what? Repent. What is repentance? It means do a 180. You've been living life away from God. You've, you've got your own host of idols. Turn around and come to God through Jesus Christ. God is making a declaration. Look at the scope of the sermon. Paul has moved from creation to the consummation. He's called God the creator, the savior, the sustainer, and the judge. He's moved all the way from creation to judgment day. He's saying this is why you guys need to trust in the one true God. Because he has fixed a day, 31. He has set a day. It's on God's calendar known to him in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed. That's the God-man Jesus. He's furnished proof to all men by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. Paul says, the train is coming. Get on board. Your ticket's been paid. One writer says, if you'd look up at the quote with me on the screen, he says, why is it that in spite of the great needs and opportunities of our day, the church slumbers peacefully on, and that so many Christians are deaf and dumb, deaf to Christ's commission, and tongue-tied in testimony? I think the major reason is this. We do not speak as Paul spoke because we do not feel as Paul felt. We have never had the paroxysm of indignation which he had. Divine jealousy is not stirred within us. We constantly pray, hallowed be thy name. But we do not seem to mean it or to care that this name is widely profaned. Close quote. Now I read that quote to you because I want to tell you that this message challenges me to the core. It challenges my eyes and how I feel and then what I do. I don't want to just say, if I hear a sermon, great sermon. I want to say, God, what do you want me to do with that? What does that mean on Monday? 
What does that mean when I'm at the mall? What does that mean when I'm at the park? What does that mean for cross-cultural missions? What does that mean for that friend that I've hesitated to share the gospel with because I'm afraid he's going to think I'm a freak or he's going to think I'm a born-again whatever? Why do I hesitate? Now here's three reactions to the gospel that you're going to get. The greatest preacher of all time saved Jesus got them, so we're not going to be any better. But I want you to see the three reactions. Very common when you preach the gospel to a group, here's what they got. 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. They mocked Paul. Others said, we shall hear you again concerning this matter. Some mocked. Some people said, okay, that's interesting. I'm going to ponder that. Can we meet again for coffee next week? And so Paul went out of their midst. But some, here's the third reaction, some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the what? The Areopagite. Apparently one of the 30 Senate members got saved. And he followed Paul. And a woman named Damaris, who was apparently there as well, and others with them. There were others, they're unnamed here. But some people were moved that day. And Paul says, don't put it off. Trust in Christ. He's not far from each one of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message of the scriptures. Thank you for Paul in Athens. I pray you would stir our hearts, stir my heart to love and good deeds. I pray that we would realize that the gospel is good news for people dying with false gods and false systems. Paul was tactful. He knew that people were hungry, but in the end, he preached the truth. He didn't hold back talking about the cross, the resurrection, or repentance. He even talked about Judgment Day. Not because he didn't care, but because he did care. He could have saw himself as somebody on vacation, passing through, snap a few photos, and I'm moving on. But you put this area of the world on his heart. He couldn't help but speak the good news of the saving gospel. May you stir us, Lord, as your church. We have opportunities that abound everywhere in our culture. There are many idols in our culture as well. Help us to have tact, but give us your eyes, give us your heart, that it might stir us to share the good news of hope. Somebody shared it with us, so help us to be willing to be your messenger as well. We probably never find ourselves in an Areopagus setting, but we may be somewhere sometime where we're going to need extra courage. Boldness and courage come from you, so may you stir us, Lord. If you're here and you've not met Christ, he's not far from you. Uh, He knew you would be here today. As a matter of fact, he's here. And he's just saying to you, reach out to me and I'll save you. The message has been preached and now it's up to you to respond to it. And so if it's you, it's just something very simple. Lord, I, I repent. I turn away from my sin. If it's you, say it to him right now. I trust in the cross of Christ, his death for me, his resurrection to defeat death, my greatest enemy in fear. I put my hope and trust in you, Lord. Save me.
Maybe you are a skeptic here and you're an agnostic, but God keeps drawing you back to places like this to hear his word. Maybe you've trusted in another belief system that has left you empty. Cry out to him. Put your faith in the one true God. He's the creator, sustainer, and judge. But that judge came down to save you. He loves you. He died on the cross. The one who made you died for you. Place your faith in him. Cry out to him. You don't have to have perfect words. Just say, Lord, save me. I trust in you. And Father, for the rest of the precious people of God, I know that this message challenges us to the core, to care, to not say, why bother, but to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. We have a concert coming up on September 10th um, here at Living Truth, uh, which is located in Corona. It starts at 7 p.m. The doors open at 6.30 p.m. Um, and it's a free night of worship, a free concert. Um, it's going to be a really cool time. So if a person uh, would like to come out that night, they can know that if they bring, for example, an unsaved friend, uh, the gospel will be preached that night? It's a great opportunity for that. Um, ultimately, that's the, the heart behind the event is not to stimulate people's senses or to leave them feeling really entertained. Um, we want to entertain people and we are going to put on a good show and it's going to be a lot of fun, but um, it's not about that. Um, it's about getting the gospel out to as many people as we can. And um, even beyond that, uh, we're going to have a good friend of mine named Corey Nichols out, and he um, helps lead a ministry called Destiny Rescue. And uh, they are literally on the front lines pulling kids out of the sex trade. And there's going to be an opportunity to hear from their ministry and, and even support them through buying handmade jewelry from the kids outside after the event, or uh, just writing them a check to support the ministry, or even sponsoring a child. So going to be a lot of cool stuff. So this is going to be a cool thing to do on a Saturday night. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. The concert starts at 7. A lot of great music. The gospel will be proclaimed. A great ministry to support in Destiny Rescue. And I think it'll be a great time for uh, believers from all different churches to come out and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, because I know that's what a lot of you guys' music is about. So let's do this one more time, just to make sure everybody's got it. So the concert's on September 10th. Starts at 7 p.m. Doors open at 6.30 it's held at Living Truth Christian Fellowship, 1009 Arsenal Way, in the city of Corona. Information and directions are available at livingtruthradio.org, and then you can kind of connect and link to the rest of the stuff. Shane, tell us about the other ways that people might just connect with the information, and maybe even pass it on to their friends through social media. Yeah, social media is definitely the, the best place to go. If you have uh, Facebook, you can you know find any of the bands for all seasons, Abiv, which is A-B-I-V, or uh, my name is Shane Lance, and that's L-A-N-T-Z. All of us have Facebook pages for our bands, and you can get the information on there. There's also an event that's a public event if you want to uh, put that you're going on there. That helps us gauge for the audience that night. Um, and you can also get information through the church. And if you have an Instagram, you can follow at Shane Lance. 
at For All Seasons and at Abiv, and all of us are posting about the event and keeping people updated on details. So, so mark your calendar for September the 10th. Doors open at seven, or se- excuse me, 6:30. Uh, the concert begins at seven. This will be a lot of lot of fun. September 10th, 6:30 p.m. at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. The event is free, so you don't you're not going to be charged to come in. And these are some really high quality musicians and bands. And so it's a free event. Just uh, grab some dinner, bring a friend out and come and spend the evening with us. It's going to be a great evening, and we we really would encourage you to come. So, Shane, I want to thank you for spending some time here in the studio with Dad. God bless you, and, and hopefully we'll catch you guys at the concert on September the 10th.